As we emerge from under the cloud of COVID-19, it's time to rebuild. The common refrain is to build back better. But how do we know what baggage to leave behind and what models to push forward? Well, today I have the co-founders of the Yulness Centre at Griffith University on the show. Ingrid Burkett and Alex Hannant have published a paper called Roadmap to Recovery and Regeneration. It recognises that right now is a pivotal moment for renewal. There's little time to waste. We need to deploy the social impact toolkit to bring people together with a common purpose and give them the tools and the capital to build at the community and the enterprise level. And that's what we're all about here on the Good Future Podcast. I'm your host, John Treadgold, and I'm asking the big questions about the future of sustainable business, the new economy, and how your spending and investing decisions can have an impact. Now, a quick bio of my two guests. Ingrid Burkett has a master's in business and she's a graphic designer. She uses design thinking to drive innovation and entrepreneurialism across all aspects of social impact. She was previously president of the International Association for Community Development and she was the inaugural social design fellow at the Centre for Social Impact at UNSW and University of WA. Alex Hanant has a master's in development and his research is focused on social entrepreneurship. Alex was previously CEO of the Akina Foundation in New Zealand and he serves on the board of B-Lab Australia and New Zealand. I really enjoyed this conversation. These two are clearly a great team with complementary skill sets and a united vision for what they hope the Yulness Centre can achieve. So let's dive in. I've got links to all the papers and articles we mention on my website at johntreadgold.com. And if you feel the urge, please leave a review on iTunes because it helps more people find the show. All right, let's dive into my conversation with Ingrid and Alex. Here we go. Thank you for being on the show, guys. Great to have you. You are the co-founders of the Yunus Center at Griffith University. And I'm normally loath to ask that very vanilla question about what you do there, but this might be a good way to get us in there. And, and I'd love to understand how you work together and how your, your skill sets are complementary. So Ingrid, maybe we can start with you, if you can give us a feel for, for what you do there and, and how it intersects with Alex. Sure. So we are the co-directors of the Unicenter. And I guess the Unicenter sits inside a business school. So we sit in a university. But what we're interested in is how does business make a positive impact? And so our focus is very much on generating that impact, um, looking at businesses that specifically exist to generate an impact. So that's the social enterprise, social business space, but also how do we understand the business of creating impact? So that takes us into the space of, you know, um, public sector innovation and the business of creating innovation in that part of the world that leads to a positive impact and it takes us into civil society and the impact that we create there. So that's really what we're interested in is, is the business of social impact. We work together as co-directors because one of the issues in this space is the sort of hero <laughs> entrepreneur or the hero leader who heads out into the territory and, and we want to challenge that perception of you know, that this space actually needs heroes. It needs teams. And so our leadership as a set of 
co-directors and as a team, we have a, a team of about 12 people, is very much emphasising the team nature of creating that impact. Great. And, and what are your uh, individual skills that sort of complement Alex? I guess my background is um, a very complex background of where I intersect design, economics, business and social impact. And so I think I sort of bring the, the design element into the partnership and a deep experience of on the ground creating impact. Neither of us are actually academic or have an academic background. So we're also intersecting, you know, this very practical focus on how do you create impact with an institution that brings the rigour and the research. I think the design aspect of social impact is often forgotten, but it's so important because on this show, we spend so much time defining terms and it really is the scourge of the industry of, you know, what is impact and what is ESG and all of these elements. But if we can do it with imagery, then I think you know, there is no confusion. It lays it out. And you guys have written some articles recently. And, and when I posted them, it was the, the images that really grabbed me. And, and there was a, people had a lot of, a lot of good words to say about it, that, that that's really the way to do it. So I think that's vital. And yeah, Alex, write a reply. Well, just, I mean, building on that point, John. So, I mean, a lot of our work is, you know, we're kind of finding the way, you know, so we, we've been doing work in this area for a while, but it's kind of learning into the work. So a design approach is kind of a really appropriate way of, I suppose, doing good work or seeking to do good work. And I, I would say the sort of the whole setup of working as a, you know, sort of as a team and, and particularly with Ingrid as a, a co-director, that sort of iterative process about being able to very quickly sense check, you know, what I think or what Ingrid thinks and then sort of progress sort of, you know, sort of on that shared collective basis is a really effective way to to actually sort of move move work forward so I think you know Ingrid sort of saying like it's kind of symbolic in some ways but it's actually highly practical to the design approach which is really the business of the work we're doing at the moment which is about sort of a you know sort of change and, and, and systems transformation well that's right and so you know this issue of systems transformation you know we see that as vital in issues of climate change, inequality, pushback against globalisation. How are you guys seeing, you know, sort of right now, I guess in the last couple of years from a, a university level, you know, changing the way entrepreneurs approach things like economics or the way it's being taught? You know, I studied Econ 101 so many years ago and there are a lot of assumptions there that, that seem kind of faulty and that people have been pushing back against for decades. At the university level, is it changing? It is. I mean, I think this is one area to a certain degree where practice has probably, you know, sort of led formalised thinking in many respects. Change around the whole impact field is happening very quickly and particularly this year, right? I mean, it's accelerated again. And so, you know, I, I think there is a challenge for sort of uh, institutions which have been set up and been very successful to do certain things. You know, their ability to respond quickly is quite challenging. But I mean, I mean, this whole point about systems and I suppose sort of, you know, systems lens on economics, it's if the biggest thing that I think everyone's making the shift towards is starting to realise the interdependencies between the economy, society, environment and culture. You know, perhaps previously, even sort of, you know, the terms externalities, you know, as things which are almost a sort of an afterthought. But, you know, external to what, you know, sort of, you know, sort of everything is related to 
uh, you know, sort of other things within a system and that system's finite. And so what we need now more for entrepreneurs and also for the way that we think about economics and we think about value is to understand that everything is working in a systems context. And then I think that then asks questions about, well, so what? You know, because if we realize things are interconnected, what does that mean in terms of our goals and our values? Because surely, you know, sort of we recognize that if we're going to be extractive or exploitative, that's actually going to have um, an impact on the system as a whole. So we, so we have to find new ways of thinking about value and creating value. And, um, you know, so I think that goes from the, the micro work of entrepreneurs up to that kind of macro way of the way that we, we think about the economy and the way that we think about policy and society. I would add to that that I think it is changing slowly but surely and I think we're seeing that change all around but I think we have also have an opportunity to lead from practice inside the university as well and that's one of our big focuses is to demonstrate the change so not just argue for you know let's change econ 101 <laughs> uh, as a curriculum but let's demonstrate in what we do that the university itself is taking a different kind of approach to seeing itself as an economic actor so we're very much interested in you know what does the university spend and how did they spend where do they invest what do they do with their e-waste unpacking that and demonstrating to the staff and the students that the university is an economic player and that if we start to shift the way that the university sees itself in that context, then that will have a ripple effect on the staff, on the students, and then on the curriculum. But as Alex says, this is the field in which practice precedes theory. So we have to lead the way, not just tell the way. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And, and taking it to that micro level is pretty powerful, and especially from an academic perspective, where it's very easy just to focus on the theory, when in fact, you do have, you know, a microcosm, you do have a mini world there with a, a university that has its own economy and its own physical issues to deal with. So really is the perfect model for that kind of thing. And, you know, in this world of social impact and interacting with business, it, it always comes back to impact investing. And I think in reading a lot of the articles you've put out and, and your new uh, roadmap to recovery paper, there seems to be a really useful focus on the social enterprise side of things. And I think that that's often forgotten in the world of impact measurement and financial metrics. Is that your focus? And, and what do you think are the, the issues, the biggest challenges facing social enterprises at the moment? I wouldn't say, I mean, we, we definitely, going back to where Ingrid started, you know, we really see the importance of business being done in different ways, you know, which, you know, uses commercial models to create, you know, social and environmental impact. You know, so there's a lot of emphasis, for example, on investment readiness for social enterprises. We're also really interested in investor readiness. I think, you know, we try and take a systemic approach to, you know, sort of what we're looking at and realise that it's the interplay of capital, markets and innovation, which enables things to change. And if you focus too much on one aspect of that, you're kind of missing the trick. So a lot of our work is actually trying to bring those elements together in a way which is actually then uh, saying, are these things calibrated in the right way 
to maximize impact or to actually make a fundamental sort of difference or change to the the, the problems that we're, we're trying to tackle and, and solve so yes we are really interested in building the capacity of individuals and organizations but we definitely sort of you know approach this as like these are all important parts of a systems approach to new economy and hopefully a sort of a, a more thriving society. This goes back to the old form over function. I would say form over outcome. I am form agnostic. Um, so, you know, increasingly I started out in this space very much passionate about, you know, the role of social enterprise and I haven't lost that passion, but I've become more agnostic about whether or not we should focus on form and entity or whether we should really look at what are the elements where we can maximize impact and outcomes and focus then on how we can draw capital and the right kind of capital to support those elements and you know ultimately support the impact and that comes from you know being exposed to situations where so for example I worked in Geelong for a few years and we were looking at how to address entrenched disadvantage in that region. Now, first, I thought about it. If we took a social enterprise lens and said, okay, social enterprise is the way to create change and better outcomes and address the entrenched disadvantage, we would have had to set up hundreds of social enterprises in order to start to nudge the impact that we were trying to create. If I open up my lens and say, okay, well, what are all of the entities that we could conceivably see could create impact and how do we direct capital towards all of those entities, then I can A, reach the sort of scale that we would need and B, start to influence the mainstream, not just create a niche of particular kinds of enterprises that create impact. And that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me to see the power of various entities to create impact and follow that power of impact rather than the form. Mm, I took a, a quote from somewhere. I'm not sure where you guys wrote it, but it said, to date, we contend that in Australia, the focus has been too much on a transactional approach to impact investment. Can you tell us about the difference between a transactional focus and a transformational focus? It's not a moral judgment. We have to have both. <laughs> so I want to make that clear because, uh, you know, one of the responses has been people coming back and trying to argue that they're trying to take a transformational approach. So it's not a criticism, it's a critique of what's happening. So it's really trying to push us into thinking about, okay, if we go deal by deal by deal in the space of impact investment and we focus on monodimensional outcomes and we try and maximise the financial return as the sort of intent of our impact investment, then what we're going to end up with is potentially some nice outputs and that's fine. But if we really want to, as we've seen in, you know, some of the framing of impact investment, if we really want to change things that are very complex, like entrenched disadvantage, like climate change, then we need to see the complexity and work with the complexity and start to ask questions about outcomes. And that might seem like, 
you know, a little bit of pedantry and word, <laughs> word wangling, but the difference between an output and an outcome is key to this work. And if we're going to be transformational, we need to focus on outcomes and they require multiple inputs and multiple dimensions of tracking what we're doing and multiple forms of capital. Should the focus then be more on the community outcomes rather than simply one investor's you know, financial and, and, and the, the impact return that they've notched up? Does it need that system approach? Yes, absolutely. And it needs a longer term approach. So, you know, at the moment we have a, a focus at all levels on, you know, jobs as, uh, as the goal. Okay, so we get somebody who's been perhaps long-term unemployed or who's faced all sorts of barriers into a job. That's an output because we know nothing about the quality of that job. So if we get somebody into a job and the investor ticks off, okay, I got a financial return and I got someone into a job, great, that's a first step. However, what if that job had a zero hours contract or had no progression? We can't assume that singular outputs will create a transformation in that person's life or that community's life. So what are the other elements that we need to track in order to put our hand on heart and say, yes, we've created an impact. We've created an impact that will lead to lots of other ripple effects and that will truly achieve the laudable goals that we have for impact investment. I think one of the, the, the sort of useful opportunities here, you know, I, I suppose, you know, transactional quite often necessarily, you know, focuses on, a, on an organisation, you know, so it's a sort of a, a deal, a proposition, a pipeline of opportunities. I think that transformational approach is, is there's a kind of a mindset there in terms of what would it take to actually, you know, sort of change a system here. And one of the opportunities is the kind of place-based approach in that sense. Because systems can feel pretty abstract, but place makes them tangible. You know, you can see in a place that there are lots of different people, you know, there'll be, you know, different assets, there'll be different challenges, there'll be different forms of institutions and actors. And through a place-based approach, you can think about the interrelationships between, you know, sort of good housing here is more likely to provide stability, which is going to create a workforce and recreational facilities might, you know, sort of end up sort of retaining people in the area and a healthy environment leads to sort of, you know, personal health. So you can start to see the interconnections between things which you can't add a sort of an organizational level necessarily. Sort of taking that sort of sort of place-based approach, I think, is is a really good window into doing more transformational impact investment, but also sort of conceptualizing what it means in, in a more tangible way. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting term, the place-based approach. I mean, when I first heard it, I sort of thought, well, hang on, everything happens in a place. It didn't quite resonate, but I think I think it's an interesting approach to say that uh, yeah rather than focusing on one investment portfolio or one deal that you're you're focusing on one place and so that brings it local so are we defining it as the investor and the investee are in the same place that they're geographically linked so that you know you, you have that internal cycle not necessarily i think it's it's it goes back to again you know the outcomes 
need to be focused on a place. So, you know, if we look at the Australian context, disadvantage has a postcode in Australia. We know that some of the most disadvantaged places in Australia have not shifted in their in their indicators for the last 30 years. So how, if we want to bring capital to that challenge to create a difference in those postcodes, then what is it in that place that we need to bring capital to bear on? So it's asking that question in those postcodes. How can we make capital flow to the places it needs to flow to, to the people it needs to flow to, and shift the fundamental outcomes that we are seeing in that particular place. And also by seeing sort of various different things which would benefit by moving at the same time, you know, sort of housing, environment, employment opportunities, you know, so, you know, some of those things are going to be more viable than others. So if you look about things like sort of energy and renewable energy, you know, a lot of sort of impact investment is drawn to those areas because it has a market and it's viable now. But when you look at sort of the context of place, you might realize, well, from a portfolio approach, we will yield, you know, financial returns in one area, but there's there's other stuff which needs to happen, which is operating market failure at the moment. So if we take these things that whole, we can realize that these things can balance out across a portfolio. But if we don't have that kind of portfolio view or that systems view, we're likely to have a whole heap of capital queuing up in areas which are more viable than others and areas which, you know, are really important being consistently neglected. So again, it's like, you know, through a systems approach, a place approach or a portfolio approach, it's trying to see things in a bigger whole and realising that these things are interdependent, will support each other, but will need different structures and capital approaches to make them work. And so if we're looking beyond the enterprise and we're looking beyond the individual investor, then that, you know, instantly brings up, well, where's government, where's regulation? And so what role does that play? I mean, it has an absolutely massive role, right? You know, sort of government. I think the COVID situation has been a reminder of, of how important the state is, you know, in our lives. So government as an investor is kind of critical and is active and often overlooked. We draw a lot on the work of Mariana Mazzucato and, you know, she'd be quick to sort of point out that the state is actually highly entrepreneurial and has underpinned a lot of the key private sector developments in recent times, you know, technology and the internet and so on and so forth. And certainly in the impact space, you know, sort of government is present in a highly significant way. But then I guess the opportunity is to think about how does government not just provide capital, but then set the right incentives for different types of business behavior and also to attract, you know, the right form of capital to make those new business models work. And in addition to that, a lot of work going on at the moment around social procurement and taking a, I suppose, a more considered role in terms of how do we create markets for impact-based businesses by being more selective about who we buy sort of goods and, and services from. So the state has an absolutely key role as a provider of capital, as a regulator in creating the right incentives, and then as a market participant as well. The degree that the the government can then also work 
you know, with agility and, you know, sort of work with private sector and, and civil society, I think that's where the challenge comes. Is government able to innovate and be responsive enough to the opportunities which are around? Or, you know, sort of, will it move slowly or in some ways actually sort of, you know, stymie some of the more sort of progressive uh, work around sort of the impact agenda from going forward? I think there's some really unhelpful narrative threads in the impact investment space that suggest that government only plays, you know, either a catalytic role or, you know, they're actually inhibitors of the flow of capital. And there's a separation between, you know, the investors, uh, private sector investors or, you know, impact investors as a group and government and civil society. If we're really going to achieve the potential that I truly believe impact investment has, we need to see them in conjunction to each other and we need to say, okay, what of the challenges that we're facing, what role are they going to bring to the table in order to create the impacts that we're looking for, rather than suggesting that government is not innovative or not entrepreneurial and it's only the investors that can play that role. This is a complex issue that requires everybody at the table. Lots of theory there, really interesting stuff, but I'd love to dig into what you guys are doing more practically at the UNIS Centre. You know, what are the frameworks? What are you teaching your students? Uh, and what are some of the, the tangible outputs? Maybe sort of give one example. I mean, we're doing a few things, but give one example, which hopefully sort of pull some of these threads together. At the Logan campus where we have our HQ, we're looking to establish an incubator for impact-led businesses and also with a real focus on inclusive business. So making sure that people within the Logan community, often groups which don't necessarily gravitate to some of the innovation supports, which can be quite tech focused or, you know, sort of not necessarily feel accessible to a lot of people who have capability, you know, but maybe want to sort of use innovation more for community outcomes than, you know, sort of tech products or software. We're looking to establish an incubator for inclusive and impact-led businesses, which will go from community education to ideation to then sort of a growth lab. But we're not doing that in isolation of what else is going on in the locality. So we're then working with, you know, the hospital, the university, the council and saying, given these organisations are in development, how might you start creating market opportunities or contract opportunities or use your resources in other ways to facilitate their development? You know, so how can we create a platform for innovation and then actually you know, maximise the possibilities for it being successful with the goals and resources of other institutions in the area. And then on top of that, because, you know, entrepreneurship is a highly applied set of skills and capabilities, we will use that incubator to also run programmes for our students. So they get to either do internships in ventures which are starting up or undertake the process of building a venture, but with a real focus on learning outcomes rather than necessarily building a venture. That sort of gives a sense of like place-based, focusing on real innovation in the community, but using that as a learning environment too, and then crowding in other institutions from the area to think about how we can create sort of meaningful change in, in the Logan region. Yeah, it's so practical. That's great. And I just wonder to get an ear on the ground at a contemporary university, we look in the world of business, you know, there's a spectrum of appreciation for this concept of impact. And 
and and valuing you know non-financial factors um and we have some people in the business community that sort of rail against it and they say it's virtue signaling and at the other end of the spectrum we've got you know a really committed impact community are the business students generally do you feel that there's a similar spectrum some are engaged some are, are skeptical what's the feeling on the ground from the young people of australia yeah, I, I think there is a spectrum, but the, the spectrum is moving. It's really interesting to start to see across the world, business leaders argue that purpose is the new business challenge, but also, you know, the, the way that business is heading. So we've got, you know, CEOs of big, big corporates like Unilever standing up and saying, you know, purpose is the, the future. And that's having a big impact, I think, on the way that business schools see themselves. They have moved, they've shifted their focus away from, you know, business as only linked to one dimension of value profit into this whole new spectrum of, you know, we really need to understand what is the purpose of business into the future? How can business drive great social value, environmental value, economic value, while still being focused as one dimension on profit um, because that drives community futures? It's very much changing and we're seeing that we're at the coalface of that shift, I think, at Griffith, where we're seeing more and more students engaging with these arguments and enrolling in the courses, being part of the demonstration projects that we're putting forward and a really good sense of, you know, that this is the future. Good stuff. I'd love to now talk about your, your new paper, Roadmap to Recovery and regeneration, you know, obviously very timely as we, we come out from under the cloud of COVID-19 and, and attempt to build back better. Can you tell me about your paper? The roadmap to recovery and regeneration is kind of built around four ideas as I see it. The first is the considerable amount of public investment which will go into recovery needs to return dividends for the public. The fiscal hole that we will get into at the moment will be carried for a long time. So that has to return back to the public. So there, there, there has to be a public interest in the way that these investments are set up. The second point is we have a way um, through a sort of more regenerative way of thinking about the economy to actually get more with less. So, you know, your point about, you know, sort of people thinking impact being sort of virtual signaling. I think we're really at pains to say that this isn't a kind of, you know, sort of good versus bad necessarily. It's that why create value and destroy value in other ways and then have to spend more money fixing up the things that you've destroyed you know so if you're extracting a whole heap of resource from the natural environment which then costs you a whole heap of money to ameliorate later that's just bad economics so what are the business models the sectors the industries which are actually going to create more positive externalities and minimize the negative externalities then I guess sort of beyond that, we're saying like, well, so how do we go with that intention forward? We need a way of holding complexity and providing a, a direction, but enabling a whole heap of emergence and bottom-up innovation to come. And I mean, we touched on earlier about, you know, the, the importance of government, but the importance of entrepreneurs, the importance of investors. How do you organise these different actors to be able to start sort of, you know, working more effectively together? So that's kind of the framework we're saying, like, 
We've got an intention here about returning public value. We think a regenerative approach is a way that can actually yield really good outcomes. We recognise we've got to find some way of organising and innovating collaboratively together. And the last point is, you know, sort of the way that we actually go about that work is pretty much as important as actually what we end up doing. So, you know, how do we actually facilitate better ways of working together, recognising that we don't have a whole heap of solutions which can just be rolled out? They need to be uh, developed, tested, you know, evolved and grown, you know, like in, in any good innovation process. So that's a bit of an overview of what we're doing. We're trying to do a few things. There's an intention there. There's a framework there. There's a method there. But ultimately, it's like, how can we find a way for people to work more effectively together and create change in their own contexts? So we've seen post-COVID that, um, you know, we've been tracking all of the multitude of blueprints that are out there about how we could, you know, what we should do to uh, build back better. And that's great. It's fantastic to see the variety of thinking that people have. But the reality is the future is emergent. Blueprints are no longer that helpful. What we need to do is create frameworks in which people can co-create and learn our way into the future. And that's the intention. You know, we could have put out a whole lot of case studies and, you know, said, this is the answer, people follow us. <laughs> but instead, we're putting forward a framework that argues everybody needs to learn their way into the future. So let's have some really great conversations about what it means differently in, you know, Western Sydney to Logan, to Geelong, to South Auckland, and start to say, well, what does it mean in your context? And what are you going to do differently in your context? And are you prepared to share that with other people? So it's much more of a conversational co-creation tool than it is a blueprint. There's a theme throughout our conversation, which started with how do you and Ingrid work together, you know, and saying that a lot of our work is experimental. So having rapid iteration is an effective way of working. To the impact investment work, where a lot of what we're advocating for around if you want to do transformational impact investment is the people delivering the interventions and the investors providing the capital actually have to sort of co-create, you know, those interventions together rather than sort of in this kind of linear way of developing a proposition, pitching it, getting capital and delivering, you know, because these things are complex. And I guess the roadmap takes it to a, an, another higher level, you know, outside of individual areas in terms of the next economic story is not just kind of a way of rewiring it. It's actually going to be a way of actors working differently with each other within it. And I think you see signals of that in a lot of the way that sort of the most innovative organizations are starting to work in more distributed ways now. So I think the thing here, it's just it's not what you do, but there's a real emphasis on how we go about doing this innovation work. And then that relates back to if we're building, you know, the, the, the entrepreneurs and professionals of the future, what's that skill set that we need to sort of enable them to strengthen and build capacity in? So just trying to tie, tie a few sort of those themes together between the education, the roadmap and the impact investment. Yeah, I mean, and going a little bit deeper, I think so many of these issues we talk about, you know, environmental controls and and lots of different layers to some businesses, generally smaller ones, a lot of it can seem like a burden. And while, you know, I totally agree that the, that it's in a, economically inefficient to, to 
build one way when that, that's creating destruction in another and that we do need to build you know, a cleaner way forward that's regenerative. How does your sort of roadmap ensure that at a time of crisis you're not putting another burden on people to have to learn a new structure or, or build their capacity themselves? I think what we're seeing is innovation large right now. So many small businesses have had to pivot, um, have had to really dig deep in asking those questions. What is the business of our future and how do we build towards this future? So I don't get the sense that there is pushback from small businesses towards this idea of purpose. Small businesses are at the coalface of people coming to them and saying, look, we want to know what you're doing in our community. We want to know what is your social license to operate in our community. And so they are being innovative and rethinking their fundamental business models. I'm excited about the possibility of this for small to medium sized businesses the, the small to medium-sized businesses who we're seeing are also excited. They're not seeing this as, you know, a bureaucratic burden. They're seeing this as the future of business and they want to be part of that. So it's just about reframing to look at the future of business is enormous. Do you want to be part of that future? Do you want to be part of building that future? We do and the businesses that we work with also do and I think that's incredibly exciting. Really exciting. That's so great. And I think that that's a really important approach for the whole sector to take for it not to be a, a regulatory burden but instead let's build the future you know with resilience and, and something that comes up a lot. I, I spoke to John Elkington a few days ago and and really interesting perspective on efficiency. It was a, a, a sort of a concept that I guess from my early economics days that I'd always held on to that let's build efficient, efficient, efficient. But in the shadow of COVID-19, we see that efficiency doesn't often pay as many as much dividend as we might think. Like it is important on one level, but resilience is a, is a really vital balancing factor uh, that if we shift all of our manufacturing to China, that may be efficient in, in financial terms, but it's not efficient when we have a crisis and that we need that slack in the system. I think you're absolutely right, John. And I, what I think is the real opportunity here is to for us to really re-examine some of our fundamentals. Efficiency has been treated as though it's a monodimensional concept. It is not efficient environmentally <laughs> or socially to ship all of our, you know, manufacturing of PPE <laughs> offshore. And it's not efficient to just say, okay, all of the pollution that we create is just an external factor. We don't need to worry about it. So we're actually in this amazing period now where our concepts are expanding. So, you know, you might think that some of our talking is quite theoretical, but you know, as some great economist once said, there's nothing as practical as a great theory. And this is a time where we need to reinvent 
the ground on which we're standing in order to have much deeper, much more rigorous, much harder conversations about how do we create positive futures. Yeah, yeah, there really is no avoiding that discussion of systemic change right now. You know, I think that the theory, you know, we've heard these, this terminology so much, but it is going to happen, there is no doubt, and, and it will be really important to, to have that conversation. And and I think regulators, conservative regulators have avoided it for so long and just stuck with the status quo. But there's no doubt that the assumptions of globalization are going are gonna to shift. So an exciting opportunity, but a shame that it, it took a crisis. But I guess that's, that's most often the way it is. Now, with this paper, look, it's very fresh. But do you have any, any examples of how it's being used on the ground? Any case studies? In the spirit of experimentation, we're working with some of our MBA alumni at the moment who, you know, are highly capable professionals working in a number of industries and, you know, sort of trying to sort of identify how this framework might be used by groups in a, in a really sort of a practical way. We're conducting a series of workshops with them and, you know, sort of want to sort of see how that goes and actually produce a kind of output, you know, which hopefully is helpful for, for other groups who may want to use it in their own contexts. One of the things that, that we have heard from the feedback has been, I guess, an appreciation that it's not a set of recommendations, right? One of the zeitgeists here is people are wanting to organize and create the future for themselves for where they are. You know, I think it's been really appreciated that this is a space to work in, but it's not sort of basically saying do A, B and C for X, Y and Z. So we are speaking to a number of groups who are looking to use it in around different sectors or specific places in Australia and also overseas. But I think, you know, the reality of this is this is just one contribution that we're making to a much bigger kind of process of change that's going on at the moment. And I would say that one of the hallmarks of that is that, you know, sort of people are rethinking the stories that we tell ourselves around, you know, how the economy has to work, you know, what we want for our future. And this kind of emerging recognition that co-creation and collaboration is going to be a key part of doing innovation well. Yeah, really great. Well, look, I'm going to post the paper to my website at johntreadgold.com so people can can have a read of it there with with all of the show notes as well are there any other links that you guys would like to share that you think people might be interested in reading our website which i mean in google Unis Center at Griffith University gives links to sort of courses that we're offering and also a number of sort of think pieces or reports that we developed so that would be a good place for people to go if they want to get a sense of what we're, what we're doing at the center good stuff good stuff and before i let you go i'd love to get a book recommendation uh fiction or non-fiction related to social change or not what, what do you think people should check out uh so i'm going to go for uh, one of our favorites which is um mariana mazzucato who's a economist who spans Italy, the US and lives in London and I recommend highly her two books, uh, The Value of Everything and The Entrepreneurial State. I think um, both of those books are really charting the future of economics. And I will go for a book that I read recently by a woman called uh, Gaia Vince called Transcendence. And she's a science journalist, but she's basically gone back to the whole history of humankind and has looked at the role of cultural evolution alongside physical evolution. 
the story of humankind is just an amazing story and one which is, you know, obviously ongoing. But the key thing that came out of that for me was how collective we are, you know, through economy, through energy, you know, food systems, language. Like we are such a species being and that really resonates with me and, and the way that we're, we're thinking about the, the future of innovation and the future of business. Love it. Those are great. Thank you, guys. Well, look, I've really enjoyed this today. I think it's really exciting to see these new schools pop up in our university. I think it's really ground zero, obviously, for education, but for theory and for thinking. And, and you know, the students of today are the leaders of tomorrow. So I'm really keen to, to focus more on, on what's happening there. And it'd be great to stay in touch with you guys and talk about how the framework is evolving. But for now, I'll let you go. So thank you. Thank you, John. Thanks so much, John. 